0: Welcome to the AcuSprout podcast, where it's my mission to help new practitioners of Chinese medicine navigate from school to career. I'm Stacy. I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist, podcaster, coach, and creator of magical networks. Be sure to check out all four pillars of the podcast, where I cover case studies to sharpen your clinical skills, Mindset Mondays to support your mental health, new practitioner interviews to prove that you are not alone, and all things business from launching your practice to negotiating your pay if you choose to be an employee. This podcast is made possible by our sponsors. So if you would like to support the podcast, be sure to check out the sponsors page on the website to claim your special AccuSprout offers. When I first started my practice, I was actually kind of a disaster when it came to my books. I hired an accountant who actually laundered money from another client. So I went on a quest to find a bookkeeper who really tailors to and loves working with acupuncturists and I found Sarah at Horizon West Bookkeeping and I'm feeling pretty fortunate. Sarah offers acupuncturists and the Accusprout community a couple different packages so that she can meet you where you are. If you're new to practice, she can come in and do what's called a QuickBooks startup package for you, where you get pretty deep discounts on QuickBooks for about four months. She sets up your chart of accounts, assists with linking your bank accounts, makes sure that all the transactions are imported, and then teaches you how to use it with two hours of one-on-one training. It's a killer deal. She also offers cleanup packages and catch-up packages not catch up packages, guys, catch up packages and a monthly package, which is what I use. And I find it quite affordable and so, so, so worth it because honestly, I never since the beginning have been able to keep up with my bookkeeping. You can schedule a free 15 minute consultation with Sarah to make sure that you guys are the right fit for each other. And you can do that at horizonwestbookkeeping.com forward slash accusprout or look for the link in the show notes. Today's episode is also sponsored by Jane, an all-in-one practice management software with helpful features to power your acupuncture practice. Jane offers flexible scheduling options that match the way you work. You have the option of offering one-on-one online sessions for initial consults, meeting in person, and scheduling staggered appointments to accommodate treating patients across different treatment rooms. Jane, how's you covered Keep the relaxation going with a seamless checkout experience using Jane's PCI-compliant payment solution, Jane Payments. You can collect patient credit cards securely through your intake form or at the time of booking with an online booking payment policy. This can also help reduce no-shows in your practice. It's a win-win. And Jane's unlimited SMS and email reminders can be sent automatically before each appointment as an extra layer of no-show protection. To learn more about how Jane's helpful features can help you power your acupuncture practice, head to jane.app to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their team. Or if you're ready to get started, head on over to acusprout.com forward slash Jane. And remember to use the code ACUSPROUT1MO at the time of sign up to get a one-month grace period applied to your new account.
1: We'll just introduce our, our patient. It is a female, 47 years old. And she was coming in with the chief complaint of knee pain. Now, a lot of times in my clinic, if the chief complaint is knee pain, it sounds like something musculoskeletal, I will somewhat de-emphasize herbal medicine and focus on my acupuncture. But when I spoke with the patient, she moved slowly, not that slowly in a diseased way, like it's hard to move. She just had a nature that was kind of slow. She spoke softly everything about her kind of countenance was what we could say deficient.
0: Yep, my friends, that's a voice of my friend from the doctoral program at ACCHS in Oakland, California, Phil Settles, here again to share some herbal pearls with me as he unfolds another case study. If you're enjoying these case studies, be sure and listen to episode 45, where Anthony Vondermull walks me through an Orthopedic neck and shoulder case. That's that's pretty unbelievable and impressive. In this episode, Phil presents a case where he treats knee pain successfully with an herbal formula. We talk about Phil's training with Dr. Huang Wong and how the 10 key formula families is an integral part of his Shang Lun diagnostic process. We discuss abdominal Fukushima diagnosis, which is so cool, you guys. We also discuss how he decides between treating low back pain or knee pain with a formula or with local orthopedic acupuncture, or both. Phil talks about one of his first clinical missteps with Mahuang and how it resolved. Be sure to check the show notes as I will put all the links for everything we reference in the show notes. All right, enjoy the show. Hey Phil, welcome back to the show. It's so good to have you again and I'm super excited to go through another case exploration. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about this type of herbal clinical reasoning that you have learned and are going to be using as an example for this case study?
1: Sure. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, first, it's always a pleasure to join you. You're on AccuSprout. And uh, I think it's a great question to set a little context for the discussion because obviously we know in Chinese medicine, uh, they say if you ask 10 clinicians, you get 11 opinions. So everyone's got a different way of of thinking through a case and there are lots of different styles and systems. And what we emphasize at the master's level in all of our colleges is a zongfu-based system from within TCM. And clinically, I often... Uh, we'll think through cases in different ways than that Zongfu based system, uh, primarily for myself through Lun styles. And then even when we say Lun style, there are many different ways to interpret and apply the text. Lots of different wonderful teachers, resources, books, historically. Um, and so the, the method that I'm going to be using today is, is called Fang Zheng formula presentation and It relates to um, Yao Zhang, which is herb presentation. And it's an idea of recognizing in a patient the characteristics and qualities that point directly to an individual herb or point directly to an individual formula.
0: So I know this is based on all of your studies. So can you give us a little background on your studies and how you got to this type of analysis?
1: Yeah, very gladly. The, The main teacher that I've uh, come across and spent time with and studied with who teaches this formula presentation style is Dr. Huang Huang from Nanjing University. And uh, he's a very experienced clinician. He's been in practice, I would say, about 40 years plus at this point. Um, some of his early training was in Japan, but also with very influential teachers that he met outside of his formal schooling in China. And over time, he ended up gravitating to that system, largely because he had studied um, TCM like everybody else, like all of his colleagues, and he excelled in school, got top grades. Everything seemed very promising. He expected to get into clinic and start to have great results with his patients, and then he found that his clinical results fell way short of his expectations based on his performance academically. So he thought, okay, he understands the theory all the, uh, in a sense, flowery language we use to describe what's going on inside the body in terms of pathomechanisms and the way that uh, the different patterns might relate to each other in a kind of narrative that we can build. And he could make a, a case for something, but then he would give the herbs and the patient wouldn't get better. And he had also studied um, really what's called historical schools of Chinese medicine. That was his specialty. So he knew all these different perspectives historically before the kind of culmination of TCM. And then he was able to go back and read a lot of these different authors that he'd read about and their particular take. And he came across one of these schools was a style of Shang Hanlun practice, but it really emphasized the formulas. And what it really said was what matters in the end, you can create all the philosophy, you can create all the narrative if you want. Of the pathomechanism of why the patient is suffering in the way that they're suffering but the only thing that truly matters in the end is the the herbs that you select the formula that you select it's not how fancy the explanation is it's how effective the herbs are and how well matched they are to the patient's condition so there have been historically some shanghanlun scholars who've really studied the formulas themselves and tried to create in a sense, shortcuts for how to recognize when a formula is indicated in clinic. And from the perspective of that that style, and that's very much emphasized in Kampo medicine in Japan, um, from the perspective of that style, the explanation you give in terms of what's the pattern of disharmony or what's the TCM diagnosis is somewhat de-emphasized. And what's emphasized is ultimately what's the formula you give. So the diagnosis could be Xiao Chai Hutong because that's the medicine that's going to help that particular person, as opposed to saying Xiaoyang Yang disease or stuck ministerial fire or liver chi stagnation, transforming heat, etc.
0: So the fun part about this case study is that I don't have that training. And so throughout this um, this process of you showing me this case study, I think the listeners will enjoy Listening to me trip through the TCM diagnosis, if you guys haven't listened, um, be sure and check out episode 43 because Phil and I did another herbal case study in that one, and, and you could definitely tell the difference in how long it was taking me to try to get to even an answer, even a diagnosis, and just try and find the questions in my head also while podcasting and trying to carry a conversation. I was fascinated at how quickly you were actually able to get to um, what the patient needed. Um Also too, we should probably note Dr. Huang Huang wrote the 10, wait, how do we, 10 key, what is it?
1: Oops. It's ten, 10 key formula families. So
0: that. And then also, was he the 50 key medicinals?
1: That's right. That's Dr. Yep. Huang Huang as well. Yep. And the 10 key formula families, funny enough, it came out, I must have been in my first or second year of TCM studies around that time. So I I got that book when I think I was in my second year. And uh, I started to read it. One of my teachers at ACCHS was very much into the classics, um, Steve Woodley. So in the way that he would teach us foundations, diagnosis, we already started to get a little bias where we really appreciated the classics and and classical formulas. Um, and I, I was a little bit challenged picking up 10 key formula families because right from the outset, Dr. Huang Huang makes very clear that what he's teaching and what he does is quite different than what we learn in the school system. Loving what we do in the school system, I found it like a little bit of a you know a challenge, almost an emotional response. <laughs> um, Over time, I, I began to absolutely love it, um, and had the opportunity to have Dr. Huang Huang come out to Oakland and then go out to Nanjing and see him there a few times. Uh, even while I still teach in the master's level, the doctorate level, uh, have other s- types of teachers who have influences on my clinical reasoning as well. Yeah. But I've transcended that initial almost insulted oh he's saying that philosophy is not you know the only way to move through a case
0: well i think it's interesting in school how um our instructors influence us so much in our in our very beginning thought processes because i remember um my instructors trying to keep it to to the classics right like this is the only way this is the way it's been done i remember picking up dr Huang Huang's book while i was also in school and just um Well, quite frankly, just too much, like so much overload anyway. I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot memorize this too on top of everything else. I graduated from OCOM and our herbs program is really robust and I feel really good about my education there, but I also remember having such a challenge of like the way that we memorize everything, the way that we learn everything, how it is in categories. And so I want you guys to pay attention to this listeners, how he teases it out. It's almost like Phil has memorized every single herb and is able to break it apart by herb. I don't know. You'll see. So um, do you have anything else that you want to talk about before we start this case exploration?
1: Yeah, I think I love context. As a teacher, I love context. And Chinese medicine is very contextual medicine. And uh, you mentioned those categories and it jogged something for me that I, I think is worth touching on. Um, and one is that these we learn sing, single herbs and formulas by these functional categories. And at some point in history, that's how they started to get broken down in textbooks. It's not a, a modern thing, but it's also not an ancient thing. Um, so the original Shen Nong Ben Sao Jing, for instance, was an upper class, middle class, lower class, not spicy, warm release exterior and invigorate blood and resolve food stagnation. So herbs were categorized not by their primary function, but by some other quality of, of what those herbs pertain to. You know, the upper class was life enhancing. Middle class was kind of health maintenance and, and address small deviations of normalcy. And then the lower class were really for severe disease and they had toxicity and they couldn't use long-term.
0: I remember touching on that in school briefly, but as soon as you said it, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about all of a sudden. So thank you for clarifying. I was like, oh, yeah. yes. okay.
1: You're, you're welcome. <laughs> and there's a lot of it, there's a lot of advantages. There's a reason historically, I think people started to group herbs and formulas into these functional categories, but there's also a kind of a danger. I think that arises a little bit of a, a pitfall which is we say, okay, Renchen tonifies qi and Baiju tonifies qi and Huangqi tonifies qi. And um, I suspect that if we look at their channel tropisms, all of them go to the spleen. So we can even say they all tonify spleen qi. So then if we say someone has fatigue and loose stools, and then they have spleen qi deficiency, that any one of those herbs can kind of be the treatment. But we don't necessarily know from that functional category Well, which one of those herbs is the most appropriate? So we can create a formula that has all of them. We can have a formula with built-in redundancy. And there are many historical formulas and modern formulas with built-in redundancy where you can kind of tell, well, someone created a formula by essentially walking in the herb room and walking to the shelf with tonified chi and just grabbing a few of them. You know, you you cover all your bases. That's your diagnosis. So those are the herbs you take. But uh historically if we look at the Shenon ben jing if we look at the classical formulas ren shen bai and huang qi are not interchangeable by any means they each have very specific indications so the pattern of qi deficiency that you know later historically that became kind of the the indication in a sense became a pattern rather than a specific presentation if we say someone has spleen qi deficiency any one of them can be relevant um but if one person has spleen sheet efficiency and they tend to have um bloating and loose stools, that's really different from spleen sheet efficiency with emaciation of the muscles and lack of muscular strength. And that's really different than a spleen sheet efficiency where there's um easy sweating and and body aches and dry skin that's scaling or peeling. Um but those individual things might indicate those different herbs: Baiju, huang Huangqi, respectively.
0: So, when you're utilizing this this methodology, uh, utilize, using the Shanghan Lun uh, and the way that you—I don't even know how to say this—like the way that you do this in your mind. Do when when a patient is presenting to you, and and I realize like you're trying to find the formula, and then and then after that, like find the formula in your head for their presentation, and then start weeding things out or making it more clear bringing it more into focus do when the patient is talking do you still do the categorical categorical thinking in other words are you thinking oh is this excess or is this deficiency are you doing that at all is this cheese is this blood is this you know kind of breaking it down or 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 is that just so automatic for you at this point because you've been doing this much longer how how does this work
1: um there's definitely Hints, or I should say, evidence that arises when the, when we're talking about signs and symptoms that the patient has that do fall into that idea of excess or deficiency, um, hot or cold. If something's affecting the chi or the blood or dampness, et cetera, those methods of thinking are definitely in place concurrently with an idea of what formula might be at the end of the line.
0: Anything else? Are you ready to go?
1: I think. Uh, There's one lovely example that occurred for me very, very early in my clinical practice, which highlighted the value of thinking in the way that Dr. Huang Huang teaches and of thinking a little bit. Um, I'm going to say beyond the, the textbook way of, of doing a pattern differentiation that we learned in our MSTCM. It was one of my very first days as a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist. Um, was a winter day in the Bay Area and a few patients came in on the same day um, with an acute cold type of uh, scenario. And one of them in particular, I will remember forever, she was a a smaller, older lady, I'm going to say late 60s, early 70s, and had chills and body aches, uh, no sweating, dry skin. And when I took her pulse, It was floating and had a tight quality to her pulse. And she had a headache as well, along with her body ache. So it it sounded very much from a textbook perspective, like a wind-cold scenario with exterior excess. Because there was lack of sweating and a floating tight pulse as opposed to a floating moderate pulse. So going from that textbook perspective, wind-cold with exterior excess is ma huang Tang. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, that was a state board formula. It has since been taken off the state board list because Mahuang ephedra is considered, well, both, uh, illegal to import. It's legal for us to use, but it is, uh, relatively easy to use badly and have side effects and cause discomfort to the patient. But I felt that my, my diagnosis matched the symptoms and I gave Mahuang Tang and the, uh, The acute cold scenario may have gotten better but that got buried in the uh, reporting of the patient that they felt uh, agitated um overstimulated i think they used the word felt like my head was going to pop off
0: because mahuang is ephedra right it does increase your heart rate and your yes it blows it dilates vasodilation yes
1: that's right. It's a very stimulating herb. So it absolutely gave this patient palpitations, affected their sleep, they had insomnia that night. There was this increased sweating. It may very well have taken care of the chills and the body aches and the headache, which was the chief complaint, but uh, the cost was too great. It was not a good match for the patient. And in the beginning of Dr. Huang Huang's book, very quickly, you get into the guajer type and the Mahuang type, and he kind of juxtaposes the two and he talks about the Guager type as being thin and sensitive to wind and sensitive to sound. Usually, the Guager type sweats easily, uh, whereas the Mahuang type is big, robust, strong, and doesn't sweat easily. So the lack of sweating and the floating type pulse could match the the symptoms in a in a textbook. But if I stood back, knowing Shanghan formulas, and I looked at this patient then I might be able to decide very quickly ma huang tang is inappropriate. This person does not have a constitution that matches a ma huang. Uh, so why would a gui type person not sweat? Well, they could have blood or body fluid deficiency. There could be other reasons for lack of sweating other than cold constricting the exterior, closing the exterior. So thinking through the case in just straightforward pattern differentiation led me to a pretty undesirable outcome, you know, <laughs> to the detriment of this patient's experience. Um, whereas she... if I had reserved a little bit of a sense in my own head, it, does this person look like this formula could match? I would have very quickly said, no, that's probably not a good fit.
0: Did those symptoms last? Did she continue, even when she stopped taking Mahuang, continue to have the agitation?
1: And no, in her case, they were very transient. It was very short-lived. So it wasn't, a, in a sense, it wasn't a big deal, um, you know, after the the 24 hours type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it ended up being a very long-term lesson coming from short-term symptoms. So right. Um, right. for me, this really emphasized the value. You know, what we learn in school is very valuable. And thinking through pattern differentiation has a lot of value and clinical merit. But there's this other aspect. That knowing that the person who who does well with mahuang tends to have good healthy blood, no blood deficiency. They tend to be puffy and have even a, a little bit of, you know, we could say edema, but it's a generalized puffiness, like water trapped underneath the skin. And then the, because the zoli, the pores are closed, sweating is difficult, and that water gets trapped there. But if someone is is very thin, uh, has very well defined musculature with very little. Um, adipose tissue, very little water, no puffiness. They don't have those fluids for sweating. Uh, so if we make them sweat, they're going to feel it in a in a negative way.
0: So would you should you have given her a guajiao and then somehow release the exterior, perhaps like with guasha and or ginger?
1: I would say guajiao tongue for her would have been a much better approach. If the if the headache and stiff neck was was um, quite pronounced. And I felt like there was a tiny little bit of like a movement into Yangming dryness mm. from, from Taiyang cold, and maybe adding Guggen. Um, but the wager base would have been a much better fit for that particular patient. Um, having that thin body type and a tendency towards blood deficiency than yeah. the Ma Huang Tong that I gave. Right.
0: Great example. Great example.
1: Thank you. Yeah. And that, you know, we learn a lot more in a sense from our mistakes than we do from our successes. So to have such a mistake so early on has actually been uh, pivotal for me. And, uh, and I think a great reinforcement for the value in thinking through a case in the way that Dr. Wong teaches.
0: Right. Especially since you were opposed to it initially. So yeah. So how it show up in clinics? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So the, right. the case that I'm going to speak about today. Um, I guess before getting into the herbs or anything at all, we'll just introduce our our patient it is a female, forty-seven years old, and she was coming in with the chief complaint of knee pain. Now, a lot of times in my clinic, if the chief complaint is knee pain, it sounds like something musculoskeletal. I will somewhat de-emphasize herbal medicine and focus on my acupuncture, uh, acupuncture, gua sha, cupping, physical modalities. Um, for you know what I could consider physical problems, musculoskeletal problems. But when I spoke with the patient, um, she moved slowly, not that slowly like a, in a diseased way, like it's hard to move. She just had a nature that was kind of slow. She spoke softly. Everything about her kind of countenance was uh, what we could say deficient in the way before. You asked, "Do I think through case right. with excess and deficiency, cheap blood, etc." immediately things about this patient started to seem like deficiency. Um, the tone of voice, the strength of movement, the speed. Um, and so I asked about generally like energy throughout the day and if she gets tired and she, she did indeed have fatigue. Appetite was okay, but bowel movements were a little bit loose. So within really a couple of questions, because I asked about energy and then I went right into appetite and digestion, I know that she's fatigued, she has loose stools, she has knee pain, she moves slowly. Um, I relatively quickly had her lay down so I could look at her legs and her knees and there was a little bit of a puffiness. So she was not a big person, she was not robust, she didn't have a lot of adipose tissue, but there was a little bit more puffiness than, than I would anticipate in her legs based on how her upper body looked. So already for me, this was a very, very big indication to think about a particular formula. Okay. And this again was two, three minutes into an intake that I thought was going to be an orthopedic intake. And then I was thinking about it through herbal medicine.
0: So when when this type of presentation shows up, is your thinking going like when there's back pain, are you going to think, is this a mechanical issue or is this a kidney deficiency issue, right? So... um I've noticed that when we do these case studies, I tend to follow you and I'm like, oh, he's going he's going kidney deficiency with like a duho ji tong or uh a kidney yangshu type of situation. Um is that what you do as well with with is that what you're doing here? Like, okay. That's
1: that is what I'm doing here. Yeah. Which
0: one is more prominent? Obviously it can be both, but which one's more prominent and if we tonify kidney, is this probably gonna clear up? Yeah.
1: Exactly. And I think that there are a lot of cases where someone comes in with back pain and we can tonify their kidney all day, every day for weeks or months, and we won't resolve it. And I think we might overemphasize the patterns that we learn from kind of internal medicine, the Zong Fu patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, some of my teachers, Dr. Alan Marcus and Anthony Vondermuel have really helped guide me into thinking about these things from a, a mechanical perspective that sometimes the root of the condition is something very physical as opposed to say kidney deficiency for low back pain but then there are those cases where i think oh, okay i'm i'm gonna do an assessment of, of low back and hips and knees and think about the vastus medialis and lateralis and popliteus pu- and and then instead within a minute or two i'm thinking oh there's there's young deficiency there's kidney young deficiency type of uh presentation here
0: yeah okay well let's let's talk about the formula because i i kind of got it a little bit right we've got some kidney yang deficiency um i'm heading down to hoji Shintang or like tonify kidney yang formula of some sort um i'm guessing that you're probably going to go with some sort of kidney uh tonifying and then because or or we're going to go back and talk about the constitution, her constitution, right. And how it's relating. Um, and then I'm curious what herbs you're going to add to that. Cause I, I know you're not going to go with Zuhu Jishin <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
1: You, you know me well enough for that. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. We're not
0: going to do that, but you're going to come up with some really yeah. great kidney formula and then throw some, uh, some dojong or yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. Let's hear it. Let's hear so it.
1: when thinking about her, um, And then the other thing that would be very worth mentioning and comes up very quickly is touching her legs. They were cold. Mm. So there's a cold temperature of her knees, of her feet. So we've got a tendency towards fatigue, uh slowness, soft voice, all of that indicating deficiency. We've got the puffiness, indicating a generally kind of, and the loose stools, indicating a generally damp or wet condition. And we've got the cold temperature. So it's deficient, it's wet, and it's cold. And those three things immediately will make me think about fuzze. Mm. So fuzze is a very good herb for joint pain. It's in a lot of herbs in the Shang Lun and Jing yale that address pain in the joints or the extremities. Um, and there's one particular formula that comes to mind for me where fuzze is addressing a kind of a waterlogged condition. A situation where there's a failure of yang to transform yin, and yin accumulates pathologically, uh, and that formula is Gen Wu Tang. So this is True Warrior Decoction. True and warrior. The original name for Gen Wu was shuan Wu Tang, which means Dark Warrior Decoction, which is equally cool name. Um, <laughs> patients patients like getting the name True Warrior Decoction because then it makes them sound, you know, they, they yeah. feel like they're going to get something that's going to make them stronger and Generally does. Um, so Zhenwutong is a beautiful formula with five herbs that has Fu Baiju, Fuling, Baishao, and Sheng Jiao. So with the Fu and the Baiju and the Fuling, we know that we're, we could say warming the kidneys, warming the middle jiao, bringing the imperial fire, sinking it into the, the lower jiao. With Baiju and Fuling, we're working on water metabolism and really reinforcing the relationship of earth and water we're from a five-phase dynamic earth controls water uh, with shang we are and this is from the perspective of say our no verse loose really talking about the flavors of the herbs and how they relate in the fuxing jui or tang jing text uh, which was from potentially the time of the neijing you know there's a there's controversy about the particular authorship or Legitimacy of that text, but there's herbs that are described from the nature of their flavor, their temperature. So Shengjiang is an acrid herb that works on the spleen. So it kind of reinforces the healthy control of wood on on the spleen, uh, and it helps to warm the spleen in a sense that wood gives birth to fire, and then fire generates earth.
0: Can you say uh, that again? So Shenjiang say it again. It it how it affects wood.
1: Yeah. So Shengjiang being an acrid herb, a pungent herb within the Fuxing Zhue Jing model, that makes it a wood class herb. Mm-hmm. And Shengjiang is the earth herb of the wood class. Okay. Or any of the gingers really are the earth herb of the wood class. So it's something that uses its spiciness, its pungent nature to benefit earth. And we could say that it does that by exerting the regular control of, of wood on earth. So we usually we talk about over control of wood on earth. We talk mm-hmm. about a wood earth disharmony or liver attacking spleen. But earth itself is very still. It doesn't really do a lot of transformation. So it's the the act of wood on earth that enables earth to to take care of digestion. To move. To move. To move. So everything about the field itself, it just stays there until we apply the plow. Yep. For agriculture, the plow, which is made of wood, is the thing that helps earth, uh, nourish and generate and bring forth all the plants that we need and the sustenance.
0: So we're talking about this. This, this is more, uh, Arno Verslew that, that you're speaking of because he's the one that teaches this mostly. Yes.
1: Yeah. The five flavor type model. Yeah. That's, that's my main teacher. Is there a pulse? The formulas in that way.
0: Is there a pulse related to this herb as well? Because I know there's a, like a Sinisan pulse and there's like, is there anything in the pulse that would, um, denote this as well or no?
1: There absolutely is. And from the perspective of our nose teaching, it's really a pulse lineage that he has inherited and that he's the lineage holder and he transmits. So he'll have very specific pulses. And then in the Shanghai Lun itself, we do have lines that describe the pulse. Mm-hmm. So one of the lines for shao Yin disease, or one of the formative lines that tell us there's Xiao Yin disease in the Shanghan Lun, is a, a deep, weak pulse and desire for sleep. Right. So just two symptoms, we can think Xiao Yin disease. And from mm-hmm. that perspective of Shao Yin, we can generally think Fuzi. So if there's a deep, weak pulse and there's fatigue, somnolence, sleepiness, we can already think ah, oh, there's there's Xiao Yin disease and there's Fuzi. So this this patient. Having that fatigue, and I, I did take the pulse. It matched the disposition. You know, they moved slowly. They spoke softly. Everything was like soft and gentle about them. The pulse was like that as well. It was deep and weak. Okay. So the pulse confirmed the fuzi. Um, for Doctor Huang Huang, if we think about fuzi as an individual herb, again we think deficiency. We think deep weak pulse. Um, uh there can be joint pain. Uh, for him, there can be. Uh, cardiac problems or, um, or kidney problems. And the heart and the kidney are going to be the two, uh, organs that relate to Shao Yin, Shao Yin imperial fire.
0: Is there, is there, uh, is futsa one of the 10 key formula families? Yes. It
1: is. It is. So there's definitely a type for Futsu. Mm-hmm. And so very quickly, again, within a couple of minutes, this patient fit that type. Okay. Within the fuzha formulas, then we can see there's Mahuang huang fuzha, shi there's fuzha tong, there's gui jia fuzha tong. There's a, a number of different directions we could go. But the one in my mind that I have the most experience using in a kind of a wet, cold pattern for fuzha is the jen wu tong.
0: What's the physical presentation for fuzha?
1: Physical presentation is going to be um, low energy, low vitality, Tendency to joint pain. Um, generally, the tongue can be flabby or have a white coat, but it certainly wouldn't be red. It wouldn't have a, a no yellow heat. coat. No heat indication. Uh, and then that pulse, it's largely a uh, foods pulse is a very important part of the pattern, generally deep and weak.
0: Okay. Okay. So this person can be robust looking as well. They don't have to be small and super deficient looking or. Am I wrong?
1: Um, if they're robust looking, they have strong musculature. Um, they, if other aspects fit, if they're, there's someone with big muscles and they look strong, but that you take the pulse and it feels very minute and they have a pronounced lack of energy, then they could be in a foods a situation, even if they don't seem like the foods a morphology.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but there's, there's small foods um, like someone who kind of has like underdeveloped musculature and a body that is not strong and it's not robust in a small way. And then there's foods where there's like excess, again, water, dampness, adipose tissue. With Wu Wutong, usually the patient, in my experience, the way that I use the formula, usually has a little bit more puffiness, dampness, adipose tissue. Uh, in my experience as well, it's generally someone who's middle-aged and older as mm-hmm. opposed to younger people. Doesn't mean a young person can never get futsa or should never get futsa. But in terms of demographic, there's a tendency for older people to have more deficiency.
0: Right. Okay. How'd she do?
1: Uh, she did great. And it was a very minor modification of Jen Wu Tong. I ended up asking as well before I pulled the trigger on creating her formula about, um, her menstrual cycle. And she did have, um, some dysmenorrhea and some clots in her blood. So I did uh, abdominal palpation and I found in the lower right quadrant, uh, some tenderness on palpation and from uh, Japanese medicine, from Kampo medicine, which is something that a lot of people um, will learn some of when they, when they specialize in Lun formulas, because Kampo uses primarily Lun formulas. We have our pulse palpation, but also abdominal palpation. This lower right quadrant tenderness on palpation is a, an indication of blood stasis and often indicates Deng Shao San. So Deng Shao San has Bai Shao, Bai Ju, and Fu Ling. So it already has three herbs in common with the Zhen Tong that I wanted to give. So these two formulas I do sometimes give together as a combination. So I was able to nourish and circulate, invigorate the blood while... In warming and invigorating the yang and treating dampness all at the same time by adding a few herbs
0: you made her feel really good
1: I made her feel really good she loves the formula um, the knees went from being chief complaint for about two months later now they're like she might mention it and it's like oh I got, I got particularly tired last Tuesday and my knees felt a little bit weak for a little while but it's not knee pain anymore her legs generally feel a lot stronger um like it may or may not get mentioned in an appointment where it was the cheap complaint right. before. Right. Uh, and then surrounding that bowel movements are more firm. energy's a lot more consistent. Um, we're even getting into areas that I don't normally explore so much for my own disposition. Um, but they're coming up and they, in a beautiful way, they validate the, the science of Chinese medicine and the way that all these relationships have been highlighted. Uh, things like fear and uh hair on her head so she'll end up asking you know i never mentioned this but i've had a little bit more hair loss uh that was going on and that seems to be a little better now Mm -hmm. and i'll say well we do relate the hair on the head to the kidneys and this formula is targeting the kidneys from a chinese medicine perspective Mm
0: -hmm. the hair
1: on the head is also related to the health of the blood and we've been nourishing the blood um and then fear she has associated with her work um and I think the relationship with fear has been getting a little bit better over two months, but I was able to let her know that fear is also something that we relate to the kidney system in traditional Chinese medicine. Um, so for her, just seeing the connections between the disparate parts of her experience has been really you know, helpful and it helps her to make sense of what's going on. Um, but for us, even things we didn't know about from the outset have been getting better in parallel in a way that we might hope for.
0: So... um, how long did you treat her and how often did you, well, first of all, we talked about this in the last um, episode that you use granules, yes, modify granules. I do
1: use, that's right, yeah.
0: Okay. And then- So oh,
1: for for her in particular, even though Jen Wutong was the first formula I thought of, Dangue Shaya-san became the base granule pre, okay. pre-mixed formula that I that I used because I only have to add two herbs to Dangue Shaya-san to incorporate Jen Wutong. In its entirety, okay. the Baiju, the Fu Ling, the Bai Xiao are already there. So adding Fuzi and Shengjiang to dangwei Shiyang San gives me Genmutong.
0: Is there something that I need to ask you about that formula? I'm like, okay, I'm I'm taking it all in. I'm not really sure. Well, okay, yeah. So how well, long did thing, you treat her?
1: So she's been taking that formula consistently for two months. Okay. And in general, all the things that I would hope the formula would do are happening. Uh, it's gradual. It's not like a super immediate one day to the next. Suddenly she's bursting with energy type of thing, but energy is much more consistent. There's, there's not a desire for napping. She feels like she can get through all the things she needs to do in a day without a struggle. The knees, again, the legs are far, far better. Pain is gone, which was the main reason she came in, but also they just feel stronger. Um, and then those tangential things like hair on the head, and relationship with fear improving, we're, we're kind of the cherry on top there.
0: And did you do acupuncture with her as well?
1: We've been doing acupuncture as well. In the first few sessions, I was doing things a little bit more, I would say, um, catered to the knees. Okay. Um, so some motor points, um, around the area of the knee, vastus lateralis and vastus medialis. Um, Shi Yan, I would put the saluma, the infrared light over her knees. Mm-hmm. Um, In the last, in the second month, it's mainly been, I would say, kind of Shen calming treatments, um, with, uh, fear and anxiety and stuff related to work, mainly to kind of just calm her body and her nervous system.
0: Interesting. So I'm thinking back, like how, how I would have gone about, like, how would I have attacked that with acupuncture? Of course, that's really not a great way to say it, is it?
1: I think it's fair. There's There's a little stabbing happening.
0: Yeah, probably you know typical TCM, but she's deficient, so maybe not four gates, but definitely tonifying kidney. And so you're looking at kidney, and then calming Shen. Yeah, with some local needling in the knees, Mm -hmm. and then and then blood moving, perhaps some abdominal points.
1: I have not been doing abdominal points. They certainly, there could be a good argument for abdominal points. Um, I would end up doing spleen 10 kind of as a local point as well as the idea of invigorating blood. Um, spleen 9 as well is going to drain dampness, which was part of the pattern, but it also is a local point or adjacent to the knee. Um, and stomach 36 as well would it help us address energy through the spleen being the... Um, Bladder heaven root of engenderment and transformation of chi and blood, but also local. So a lot of those points that we might think of for pattern also fit in with being just in the general area of the knee. Um I didn't do this in a very orthopedic way. In some other cases, I might have done more physical assessment to try to understand is this coming from the hips? Um, is the patella being pulled laterally or medially, etc.? Um, but it it responded so well to the more generalized physical treatment with the the relatively specific herbal treatment. Really within a a week or two, it was clear that the knee pain was a lot better.
0: Which I really Um, like this about our medicine because she wouldn't have, that was nowhere near what she would get in a physical therapist's office. I feel like sometimes we go at it as sort of from a physical therapy perspective of doing all the orthopedic testing and then, you know, very, very methodically, you know, releasing trigger points or doing motor point stuff or electro. Or I-, I love the fact that we can treat knee pain with a formula. That's cool, right?
1: So, yeah, yeah. For me, that really is a nice reminder because I do, um, and there is a historical precedence to that and then statements even from the Neijing that talk about you know, the, the specialization of certain modalities to certain types of conditions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But then there's also really amazing acupuncturists who are addressing all kinds of internal medical conditions with acupuncture yeah. and really amazing herbalists addressing all kinds of pain and musculoskeletal conditions, herbs. And so the dividing line is somewhat arbitrary.
0: Um, yeah, but it's, where, it's really cool. It's really fascinating.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, do you have anything else about the case? I want to circle back in a minute to this abdominal palpation uh, within the Shanghan loon as well. Um, but let's finish the case if there's anything else that you want to talk about there.
1: The only other thing related to the case, I think, uh, by and large, it's been a a very successful, successful case. If I look through my day and say, okay, what percentage of people are are moving in the right direction and what percentage are uh, right where they started or what percentage are doing worse, et cetera. This is one of the ones where it's definitely a positive outcome and the patient feels so just as I feel so, um. But it's a use of a Fudza formula, which because of the teachers that I've had, I'm generally very comfortable with. And I, I do use Fudza in my clinic with regularity. But being a teacher at the MSTCM level, I know that a lot of students uh, are very, very cautious. They may have graduated from their MSTCM program and never seen Fudza used in clinic. And so a lot of us in our own clinics, you know, earlier I mentioned Mahuang, which is another one of those herbs and foods and we have things like shishin shirgao Dahuang. there are certain herbs that we kind of um, respect so much that it borders on fear and for those uh listeners current mstcm students people new in your clinical practice people advanced in your clinical practice but not using those herbs i do want to say there is you know they're all very important herbs. There are great resources and teachers out there who have vast experience using them, and there can definitely be benefit in in getting the guidance to use those herbs well and appropriately. Because when someone needs mahuang, the other things aren't really going to substitute. And when someone needs fuzi, the other things are not really going to substitute. So a, a gentle urging to to find those teachers and those methods that will help you feel comfortable with these really powerful tools that we have.
0: I feel really fortunate because I was able, when I was in school, able to follow Dr. Greg Livingston, who was trained in China and more trained as an herbalist. And he, his formulas were, I remember having to make his formulas when we were in, like, (laughs) ridiculously, like... Really bit, he loved to use a lot of futsa and he would, yeah. it was fascinating to watch. I guess that creates as a student, like if you're observing and he's a very, very good teacher, very good at explaining that you do become more comfortable with that, especially too, uh, which is fascinating on the making it side, like using your hands and seeing and seeing how much, wow, that's a lot of futsa or his formulas were huge. Um. Having that experience was helpful for sure. You know, seeing that, seeing those things. um, Yeah, so I feel really fortunate. He was a great teacher. I enjoyed him a lot.
1: That's great. Yeah, that's very valuable.
0: Yeah. Um, Can you talk a little bit about abdominal palpation with regards to the Shanghan Lun? I was fortunate enough to actually take and actually tell me what the name of it is in Chinese as well, because. Um, sure. But I got to take a class as I was leaving Portland. I don't know if she, it was part of her um doctoral curriculum, but she researched all of this and she was teaching it. And it was so fascinating to me. And so I think maybe because I'm a massage therapist too and love to use my hands, but I, I could feel everything that she was explaining. I could feel oketsus and I could feel like so many things. And it felt like... How easy <laughs> of a way yeah. to come to a formula just by finding yeah. these things in the abdomen. So I'm going to let you talk about that for a minute.
1: Yeah. So in in the Shang Han Lun, they mention pulses very often. They mention abdominal findings very often. And they mention the tongue maybe twice. Very, very scant references to the tongue. So historically over time, tongue diagnosis became a very important part of uh our general diagnostic process, and I do look at tongues, but some Shanghai practitioners don't because it's just not mentioned, uh, with the exception of say like churza or something. There's a yellow coating, um, but the abdominal, the state of the abdomen, whether there's hardness in this or that area, or like an an upside down saucer, etc. Like there's a lot of descriptions of the abdomen, and so historically there has been abdominal diagnosis, palpation. It's primarily emphasized in Japan over the last few hundred years. So a lot of very important works had been published in Japan um, and then kind of, I would say, imported to China. So Dr. Huang Huang does abdominal palpation in his own clinic, not on every patient, but when he thinks it's going to be relevant, he'll have the patient leave the table, the seat at the table, and go lie down on a treatment table in the corner, and he'll press on their abdomen. He's quick about it. Uh, there's nothing flowery about the way that he presses on people's abdomen. Um, I've learned from Kumiko Shirai. Kumiko might be the teacher that you had. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I was in her first class. Yeah, wow, it was fascinating. Yeah.
1: So I thought she was a a wonderful teacher for a Fukushin abdominal diagnosis. And then Nigel Dawes is the other teacher that I've had and done a campbell class with him. And we did some, some Fukushin. Abdominal Diagnosis, and he's written some books in English about Kampo medicine,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and he draws from that historical Japanese literature about matching okay. individual abdominal findings to individual patterns. Yeah. So the same way in Dr. Huang Huang's style, we can say that there's a, a, a tight presentation that helps us think about an herb or a formula. There's abdominal presentations that help us think about herbs or formulas. If you feel that oketsu, that that either a nodule or that tenderness on palpation in the lower abdomen, in the lower left quadrant, it means one thing, in the lower right quadrant, it means another. If you feel uh, easy pulsations or palpitations through the the aorta, then that will point to individual herbs or formulas, uh, water splashing sounds in the region of the stomach, etc. So, all of these can help you think about an herbal formula without any, in a sense, philosophy. There's no yeah. pattern necessarily that emerges. There's just, ah, oh, this is a Fu Ling finding. This is a Shengjiang finding. This is a Dang Wei Shaya san finding. So it gives you a piece of evidence. And then when you've done your diagnostic process using the different, you know, observation, palpation, inquiry, listening, smelling. When that's all done, then you can think about the evidence that you've accumulated for different herbs or formulas.
0: I like this. This speaks to me too, because, um, my strength is memorization and my strength is palpation with my hands and my weakness is, um, processing, right? So the whole TCM thing for me is slow and challenging and, um, I'm not great at putting things in order. But I'm great at like, oh, look, I just felt this. This means this. And I remember this. And, you know, that that has been, I don't know, we all learn differently and we all have different really talents with how our brains work. But that is, that has been, and I was a little nervous about going into Chinese medicine because process is a challenge for me. But, Mm -hmm. you know, playing on strengths and learning like what your strengths are and then taking classes based on that too is super helpful. But that class to me was that was so good. That was such a cool way of coming to a formula or even just like, I remember I was also still in school and I was in clinic in my herbal instructor in clinic, um, like theater class that we had, or there's like four of us in there and he would, he was also trained by Arno.
1: Uh
0: And so we would, we, he allowed me occasionally like to palpate somebody's abdomen. if we had this like inkling that this was the formula and then I'm like, wait, let's do these tests. And he was like, yeah, if let's do it. Yeah, yeah, it was really great. It was super fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a beautiful way to reinforce. Um, and again, doing Fukushin, taking a Fukushin class, is essentially like a Shanghan class because yeah. all the findings are going to point to herbs that are used in the Shanghan Lun yeah. or directly to Shanghan Lun or Jingwei formulas. So it ties in with classical herbalism. Absolutely, 100. Exactly. Um, and Chinese medicine is is so vast that you know, the way that you think you're able to find those styles, techniques that really highlight your strengths. And if someone else loves the the processing, but doesn't really feel confident with their hands, then they're going to be able to do different styles. And yeah, it's so vast. And historically, there've been so many takes on it. And we have the Neo-Confucianists around, you know, the Song dynasty, who really said that all thinking in medicine should be based on principles, and that has a lot of value. But then there was a pushback later on about "Mm, people are going too far with the principles and the philosophy and there's there's too much talk and there's too much kind of flowery description and they're not actually necessarily giving good treatments at the end. Um, So there's different ways that someone can excel uh, and really build their own clinical mastery.
0: Yeah. I think school is good for throwing all of it at us and then making us swim through it and figure out like what's going to work best for us. Like over the first couple of years, you just, you have to go with what feels good and figure out where your strengths and weaknesses are and your interests. And then, but you don't know any of that when you start.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that initial exposure through our MSTCM programs and then the individual teachers that really speak to us. And then it could be CUs, it could be a doctorate. You know, Whatever we do next within those first five years is going to be really, I, I would say, pivotal for us to really discover the things that we're going to thrive with Yeah, and to add in some areas and maybe take away a little bit in some other areas.
0: For sure. Anything else you want to cover on the case before we close down?
1: Uh, no, I think that, that wraps up that case pretty well.
0: Okay. Anything you want to say to yeah. the new practitioners out there and or anyone listening to... Uh, to our case studies here.
1: Um, really just the value of inspiration, um, finding those teachers who speak to you. I used to think as a MSTCM student that anyone whose name I saw in a book was like a celebrity, you know, out of reach. And Michael Max translated that initial book of Dr. Huang Huang's that was so uh, influential for me. And then I actually got to chat with them and have dinner with them and, you know, call him a friend now. And uh, a lot of my other heroes in Chinese medicine I've gotten the chance to meet. And our world is not that big. And a lot of these uh, celebrities among us are actually very humble and personable. So read and reach out and and be inspired. Um, Find those elements of the medicine you love, because again, it's so vast and it's so deep. So there's going to be something for everybody to really thrive in.
0: Thank you. This was once again, so enriching for me to listen to how you work through these cases and also um it gets me really excited about about herbs and about learning more as as i continue my path so thank you so much
1: thank you it's always a pleasure thank you stacy
0: that's it that's the end of the show Thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate you guys. And if you appreciate this podcast, it would be amazing if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a great review. And if you don't like what I'm doing, then that's okay. No worries. Just skip it.